بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد ابن عبد الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Respected elders, dear brothers and sisters Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh as most of us are probably aware, there is a federal election campaign underway and the election is going to take place this Monday, October 19th, inshallah. There are a number of questions that often crop up around election time, especially amongst Muslims. So the question that sometimes is discussed was discussed more so in the past, but it has become a bit uh, less now, this question. But nonetheless, the question is that should we take part? And secondly, if so, if we say that we should, what should be our approach? And what should our priorities be? The first thing we must remember is that as believers, we have been taught to actively promote betterment, to actively promote betterment and limit and remove harm to the best of our ability. This is something that we are taught to actively do throughout our entire lives. As believers, we are not people who have been taught to live in a vacuum. We do not live in a bubble, we don't live in isolation, but rather we live in communities, in societies, we interact with people and we are well, we should be well aware of the things that are happening around us and we are taught to actively take a part in making things better and actively making an effort to remove or to limit harm to the best of our ability. The Prophet ﷺ has said in the famous hadith which we have discussed before that whoever amongst you sees something objectionable. Now the Arabic word is munkar, generally you know, understood by commentators of the hadith as sins or as evils. But you can take it, you can broaden the understanding to say anything which is inappropriate or anything which is wrong. So the Prophet ﷺ has said that whosoever amongst you sees something or sees anything objectionable, let him change it with his hands. Meaning, let him or her make an effort physically to bring about positive change. And the Prophet ﷺ goes on, the meaning of which is, if he is not able to do so, meaning with, through physical effort, then with his tongue, meaning say words or use words, use your ability to express yourself to bring about positive change. And then the hadith goes on, and if he is not even able to do so, then with his heart, meaning that if someone is so helpless that they're not able to bring about positive change through physical means, and they're not able to do so even through words, then at the very least in their hearts they must consider it to be wrong, and they must internalize that, that, that fact. And the Prophet ﷺ said, وَذَلِكَ أَضْعَفُ الْإِيمَانِ And the latter, meaning this last form of considering something to be wrong just in your heart and not in any other way is the weakest form of faith but nonetheless it is a part of 
their faith. So from this we learn that the Prophet ﷺ has indirectly taught us that there may be situations where you are not able to bring about positive change through physical means. Either you don't have the ability to do so, or you don't have the authority to do so. And in that case, you use words, you use the ability to communicate and to express yourself. But again, the Prophet ﷺ has indirectly taught us that there may be situations where you are not able to speak. Perhaps you don't have the authority to speak. Or you speak, but you don't have enough power that enough people can actually hear your call and actually listen and understand. Or perhaps, you know, you live in a dictatorship or somewhere where if you speak, you are going to put your life in jeopardy. Whatever, in jeopardy. Whatever the situation may be, the Prophet ﷺ has given us another option, which is the, 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 the weakest option of all, that in your heart you recognize something as being wrong, and at least you try to stop yourself from being affected by it or by indulging in it. Because if we lose this sense even in our hearts that something is wrong, then it becomes easier for us to actually get involved in it and to actually be drawn into it. Now in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also commanded us to stand up for justice and not just to stand up for justice, but to stand up firmly for justice. On top of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us in the Qur'an that promoting good and prohibiting and stopping and limiting evil is a quality of this ummah, but not just a quality, but a responsibility as well. So this is something that makes up, that should define our community and should define our ummah, should define us as individuals as well, that we are people who are constantly and actively trying to promote good and constantly and actively trying to remove that which is wrong and that which is evil. Furthermore, the Prophet ﷺ told us in the hadith, and the translation is that if people see an oppressor, if people see the witness, they know that there is an oppressor and they don't prevent him, then it is very likely that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will include all of them in the punishment. Meaning that if there is to be a, 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 a trial or punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to come upon an oppressor, if people around him or her have not made an effort, have not had the desire, have not made an effort to bring about positive change, then they too could be involved in, uh, in, the, in the punishment or the trial that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah azza wa jal protect us all. So if we feel, if we feel that there is something unjust, if we feel that there is something oppressive about government policies, if we, or if we suspect that policies that are unjust and that are oppressive could come about from the winner of an election or from a particular person as a leader or a party or whatever the case may be. Then it becomes the responsibility upon us to use whatever permissible and wise and legal means available to our disposal to stop this injustice and this oppression from occurring. So therefore we have a religious... And we have a civic duty to defend people, to defend people's rights, to promote, to, to promote people's individual and rightful rights, and to stop oppression and to stop aggression to the best of our ability. And these are important values which are rooted in Islamic teachings and Islamic tradition. Now in the past, scholars, Islamic scholars have disagreed on the juristic position with regards to participating in the voting process, in the electoral process. 
But nowadays, you will notice, if you are someone who looks into this, that most scholars who are aware, most scholars who are aware of the realities on the ground, most scholars who are aware of the realities on the ground in democratic countries, will say, they agree that if it can benefit the community, if by voting there can be benefit to the community, if it lessens evil and promotes general, you know, or, or the greater good, then it is something that can be done, and instead, rather, it should be done. Rather, it is something that should be done if it has the potential to bring about these, um, the, these positive changes. And what happens, in fact, is if we don't vote, we are actually supporting the worst candidate. What happens if you don't vote? It's almost as if, or it's equal as, supporting the worst candidate because by not voting for the best candidate or the best option, it means that you have, you have, there's one less vote for that best candidate, which then improves the chances of the worst candidate to win. Right? So sometimes we think, okay, well, we're not, you don't like any of the parties, so I'm just, or I don't know about this, I'm just going to stay away. But by staying away, we are actually supporting the, or, or improving the chances of the worst candidate to actually succeed. Now, a question, another question comes up, and that is that by voting, are we responsible for something negative that a particular candidate or a particular party may do so do after winning? Okay, so let's say you support, you vote for a particular party, you vote for a particular candidate, and it turns out that afterwards, after they won, after they have won, they do and they, you know, they either support laws or they, they take some action which you consider to be wrong um, in one way or another. And the answer to that question is that no, because the intention when you're voting, the intention should be that we are looking for the most suitable candidate, that we are trying to support the most suitable candidate out of all of the available candidates. And it doesn't mean that we are in agreement with every single action or every single belief and uh, the entire ideology of the candidate or the party. Right? So it's not about partisan politics. It's not about fully supporting someone, a particular individual or a party, but rather it is about supporting the, the candidate and the individual who, who appear to be most likely to be most beneficial to the community and the, to the country and who appear to be most trustworthy for office and who appear to be least harmful for the community and for the country. Now, if we study the platforms of each of the parties, we find that there is, in fact, no party that stands for everything that we would want, ideally. Okay? There is no party that actually promotes and stands for everything that we would want, ideally, as believers. So you will find that some promote peace, some promote you know, the, uh, diversity, and they stand up for, for Muslims, but then perhaps they promote things which we consider to be wrong and immoral. On the other hand, you may find that there are those who stand up for morality, who support, you know, who, who we may agree with on those types of issues, but then perhaps they support oppressors and they promote mistrust against Muslims. Okay? So you don't have, uh, it's very difficult to find an ideal situation, a situation where there is a candidate or a party who, who represents everything that a believer would want. So neither option may be ideal or none of the options may be ideal. But if we are forced to choose, 
if we are forced to choose between the freedom to practice our faith and to live safely versus uh, immorality, then, again, if, if we are forced to choose, and it's not an easy choice, then we would rather have freedom for everyone, which would include immorality as well, unfortunately, instead of morality with a lack of safety due to our religion and restric- restrictions on the free practice of faith and restrictions on da'wah and so on. Okay? So if it's free for everyone and it's safety for everyone, that is better for us because we are at least able to practice our deen, at least we are able to propagate our deen, and we are able to establish masajid, our sisters are able to go out safely, and we are able to live safe lives trying to practice our deen to the best of our ability, as opposed to having a situation where immorality is controlled to a certain extent, but there are restrictions on our deen, right? there are restrictions on masajid, there are restrictions on how we dress, there's restrictions on what we can preach and what we can practice. So that is a situation where our deen is something that the promotion of deen and the practice of deen gets constrained and this can actually have longer term negative consequences. So this, of course, is a federal election and it is very important to understand how the system works. So first of all, in Canada, we do not vote directly for a prime minister. Okay, so if you go vote and you find, you look at the ballot, you will not define, you will not find the names of the party leaders that you go and you vote for them. Okay, instead, we have the House of Commons, which has 338 seats, and this means that there are 338 areas or ridings across the country, and each area represents one seat in the House of Commons. Each riding, each area selects or elects rather a member of parliament and the seats that a party gets is not based on how many votes they get across the country. That would be a proportional system. But we don't have a proportional system but rather the system that Canada currently has is called the first past the post system. And I'm going to go through some of the terms that you might hear especially as we get very close to the election, and clarify what they mean, in case uh, you're not aware. So this is called the first past the post system, meaning in each area, the candidate which receives the most votes. So the candidate in each area who receives the most votes is the candidate that gets elected and then goes to the House of Commons to represent that area. And um, the, the, because it's not a proportional system, the seats are not allocated based on the percentage of votes received by a party across the country. So for example, in the last election, the Green Party received approximately 4% of the national vote. But they did not get 4% of the seats in the House of Commons because of how those votes were divided up. The party that gets the most seats in the House of Commons through this first-past-the-post system gets the first opportunity to govern and their leader becomes the Prime Minister, normally. Now another term you might hear, because it's a close race, is majority government and minority government. A majority government is when a single party has more than half of the seats in the House of Commons. So if a single party wins 170 seats or more, then that means that they have a majority government. How does that affect us? It affects us in this way, that they are allowed to do anything that they want as long as it conforms to the basic rules of the Constitution. 
So in other words, they almost have unlimited power. If there is a government, a party that has, that wins the majority of seats in the House of Commons, even if all the other parties try to stop them from passing a law, from going to war, from raising taxes, from lowering taxes, passing anything that they want, they can't stop them. Because this party has the majority of seats in the House of Commons. So even if all the other parties, which would be less than 170 seats, get together and try to stop them, or less than 169 seats, then they would not be able to stop them. So this is a majority government. If the governing party has less than half the seats, so they have 169 seats or less, then or they have less than 169 seats, and the other, the majority of the seats are divided up amongst other parties. So one party has 100 seats, another party has 30 seats, another party has 39 seats, and they're all divided up, then this is a minority government. So even though the opposition altogether has more seats than the government, there's one party who actually has the most seats, even though it's not the majority of the seats in the House of Commons. And this is then called a minority government. So in order now to pass laws or in any vote, they need to have support of some of the other parties in order to have in order to be able to do things that they want to do. Because if the all the other parties join together against them, they can vote them down. Okay, so they will have their 160, let's say 160 votes, and all the other parties, opposition parties join together and they'll have the majority of the votes. And if it's a confidence vote, then the government fails, and then the governor general can actually ask the opposition to form government. But this is unlikely because Canada rarely sees coalition governments, if ever. Since 2006, we have had a conservative government. And this time, it is the race is quite close, um, and especially the local races. So the numbers, the polling numbers that you see, the surveys that are done, some are done nightly, some are done you know, every week, whatever, those represent the votes or the opinions of people across the country, okay, from one end of the country to the other end of the country. But what really matters is how those votes break down locally. Because again, remember, if a party is getting 35% of the vote, it doesn't mean they're going to have 35% of the seats. Okay, because the vote breaks down according to the local writings and because of the first past the post system. So here, in our writing, which is Kanata Carlton, and next door, which is Nepean, not the city of Nepean or the area known as Nepean, but the federal writing of Nepean, we have a very, very close contest. And it could be, you know, it could make up some of the closest races in the country. And it could potentially play a very important role in who comes to power. Now, there have been local public opinion polls. So these are surveys where a sample of people are contacted, either by automated voice calling, uh, voice response uh, you know, technology, or by live operators. And they're asked, who are you most likely to vote for? So, of course, they don't ask every single voter in the area, but they have a sample, so it could be 500 people that are surveyed, it could be 800 people that are surveyed. And these surveys give an indication as to how, which way people are leaning and what the result may be like. Now, these surveys have to be taken with uh, a grain of salt because recently in, uh, in various jurisdictions, uh, they have turned out to be very wrong as well in some cases. Uh, so the, we take it with a grain of salt, but basically, just to get an idea, what it shows is that in these two writings, in Canada, Carlton, and in Nepean, there is a very close race between the conservatives and the liberals. So basically, they're both 
getting anywhere between 40 to 50 percent of the vote in both of these areas. Now, of course, there's a margin of error as well in these polls because they're not 100 percent accurate. So that vote number could actually be off. The, 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 the sample or the, the results of the poll could be off by about five, sometimes even seven percent. Um, so the conservatives and the liberals are polling very close to each other in the 40 to 50 percent range. And uh, the NDP is maybe polling around in the 8 to 10 percent range and the other part of the Green Party at around uh, 1 to 3 percent. Now, it is very, very close, and that really means that every vote really counts. And there have been cases where, you know, candidates in, in, in past elections have sometimes lost or, or won, whichever way you look at it, uh, just by 22 votes. 22 votes, 10 votes, you know, sometimes even two votes, and then they have a recount. And then, you know, every time they count, it comes up with a different number because there's so many votes and, you know, there might be spoiled ballots and there might be some errors. Sometimes it goes to court. And this happened in last election as well. So this is something to be aware of. Now, one term that you might also hear, apart from first-past-the-post and majority and minority governments, is the term vote splitting. And this refers to this, this phenomenon that sometimes the majority of people in a particular riding want to vote a certain party out of power. But they can't decide who to replace them with because they have more than one choice. Okay? So this can lead to vote splitting. So for example, if party A is in power and 60% of people in an area want that party out of power. Okay? So 60% of the population, 60% of voters want party A out of power. They're fed up, they're tired. Now out of those 60% that, are, that don't want party A to stay in power, 35% vote for party B, 25% vote for, vote for party C. So what happens? Party A ends up getting 40% of the vote. Party A ends up getting 40% of the vote. Party B ends up getting 35% of the vote. Party C ends up with 25% of the vote. So who wins? Party A wins, even though the majority of people in that area did not want Party A to be in power. So this is referred to as vote splitting. Now, another term that is related to vote splitting that you may hear a lot as well is strategic voting. So this means, quite simply, to vote for someone who is not your preferred candidate in order to stop someone who you really don't like from winning. Okay? So for example, your preferred candidate A, you believe, has a very slim chance of winning. So you decide to vote for candidate B, who is your second choice, in order to stop candidate D, who you really, really don't like. Okay? So that's really what strategic voting refers to. Now this may be a major factor in the final outcome because the race is so close, or it may not be. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So, the point is that if you're confused about any of this, and if you need advice on how to vote, uh, then it might be a good idea to speak to one another, talk to your local brothers and sisters who are politically engaged, and of course we have candidates outside as well, and you can try to figure out which way you want to lean. In any case, in the past, only about 40% of Muslims have voted. Okay. And this is important because the parties and the candidates are able to see who voted. They're not able to see who you voted for, but they're able to see who voted. So when they go through the list of what the voter turnout was like for their area, they will notice that there's a lot of Muhammads and Ahmads and Fatimas who actually did not come to vote. Okay. On the other hand, 
if we have a large voter turnout from our community, then when they go through the list, they realize that, okay, these, this is a community that is politically engaged, and therefore the chances are increased then that they would actually pay attention to the community and try to, to uh, and, and take uh, the community seriously. So what we need, especially in Canada, Carleton, and in Nepean, is 100% Muslim voter turnout. This is what we need. This is what we're aiming for. This is what I'm aiming for. 100% Muslim voter turnout. Okay, so this means that everyone who is a Canadian citizen, age 18 or older, needs to go vote. It's crucial for them to go out and vote. So this includes you, this includes your spouse, this includes any of your children who are age 18 or older, parents, grandparents, everyone. Take the whole household, take the whole family, they take the whole clan, the tribe, whatever it is. Okay, take everyone to the polling station and get everyone to vote. Do your research, figure out the best person who the best person, the best party is to vote for, make an informed decision because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed us, tells us, that if you are to judge between people, then you should judge with justice. In the end, we must remember, because this is something that a lot of us can get caught in, especially you know if you're volunteering, which is great, uh, participating in the process, uh, or just following the news. At the end of the day, all parties and most politicians are going to play politics. Okay, I say this because I'm nonpartisan. No one is going to give you absolutely everything that you want. Okay, although they may act like they will. Okay, at the end of the day, it's politics. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's not a very clean game. Therefore, there's no such thing, in my opinion, as a perfect for a party that is blindly worth supporting. There is no such thing as a perfect party that is blindly worth supporting all the time for the rest of your life. Okay? You may make choices based on circumstances, based on the realities at, at, you know, at a particular time, but there, there, there's no one who's always going to be clean, who's never going to lie, who's always going to be 100% you know, in, in favor of what you want. So take what they say with a grain of salt and don't pin all your hopes on one person or one party for your entire life. So yes, we must participate. We must try our best. We must vote. We should vote wisely. But at the end... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in control. In the end, Allah azawajal is in control and nothing can happen without His permission and without His grace. And this is something that we must always remember. So we must improve also, while we make all these efforts, we must also improve our connection with Allah azawajal while making our best effort. Right? This is the true quality of a believer that he or she makes an effort and at the same time, depends on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not just one or the other. That you just have tawakkul and you don't make any effort and you say, Allah will take care of me? No, that's the wrong approach. On the other hand, you make all the effort in the world, but then you forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's also the wrong approach. Right? Our deen has taught us balance. So yes, we must make an effort, we must make a strong effort, while we also make a great effort to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So increase your dua, increase in istighfar and dhikr. You know, ensure that you increase, try to increase your salah with jama'ah. Offer the night prayer, stand up in prayer and offer tahajjud, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, say bismillah inshallah and vote on October 19th on, on Monday and contact all of your relatives, make sure that everyone goes out and votes and we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah azawajal makes this country of ours and this entire world a place of safety and a place of prosperity for all. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and everyone else from all types of evil, all types of hate and oppression and from hateful and oppressive leaders. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us towards that which is the best course of action. May Allah azawajal grant us that which is best. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from that which is harmful. 
as I mentioned, voting day is October 19th, Monday. The polls are open from 9.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. The timings vary across the country, but in the eastern time zone, it's 9.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. You do need to be registered in order to vote. You can register at the voting at the polling booth, at the voting station, although it is preferable you do so online because it will save you time and it will be easier for you. And also, as I've mentioned before, there are candidates who come and who speak here or who come outside. And the Canada Muslim Association, as myself and myself personally as well, do not endorse any candidates, don't endorse any candidates. We give an equal opportunity, equal invitation to any candidate who would like to come speak to us. So if someone shows an interest, regardless of which party they're from, regardless of who they are, if they show an interest to come here and to speak to us or to come outside, we invite them to come and to do that. And this is something that should be very, very clear. Now, based because of all of this, we also, inshallah, tonight have a very important workshop called Election Energized. And this is uh, organized by the National Council of Canadian Muslims, NCCM, and by KMA. And inshallah, it will be happening in this building right across the hallway here in the Minto Room, starting at 7 p.m. So 7 to 9 p.m. tonight, inshallah, Election Energized Workshop. It's free, and we encourage everyone uh, to come and, uh, and, and uh, participate, inshallah. Secondly, uh, there is uh, an important program happening at, at uh, Masjid Jami Umar, inshallah, on Sunday. And uh, this is in relation to the month of Muharram, which we have now entered, alhamdulillah. Um, this is happening on uh, Sunday from 4.30 p.m. to Isha, inshallah. And a number of local imams will be participating. Uh, so the Jami Umar imams, Imam Owais and Imam Anwar, Imam Ahmad Imam from Gatino, and Imam Muhammad Badad from Orleans will be participating as well. So this is at Jami Umar, Sunday, 4.30 p.m. to Isha, inshallah. And finally, our youth program is back. Uh, alhamdulillah, we have restarted. We have the boys' section, session a couple of weeks ago. So this Saturday, inshallah, will be the girls' first session. And uh, there will be a talk entitled, Living the Dream, uh, with uh, my wife, inshallah. And this will be from 5 to 7 p.m. at the Hikmah School location at 186 uh, Barrow Crescent. So once again, this is tomorrow for girls only. Uh, we say ages 13 and up, but ages 12, inshallah, and up for girls. Um, and this is at 186 Barrow Crescent. There will be pizza, prizes. They will build a sisterhood, have that short talk, have some sports, inshallah, um, and uh, win a prize as well. Oh.